union that did this straw poll. I don't know why people are doing straw polls for president. They're not going to tell you anything. But in this straw poll, Ron DeSantis came out ahead of Donald Trump. And we said at the time, I don't know. I don't know if Trump can handle himself. Can he can he control himself to not go after Ron DeSantis? Because he's got to be the guy. Ron DeSantis doesn't need this. Of course, he's running for president, but he doesn't need this. Then Kurt Schlichter, Town Hall, the Kelly Turnbull novels, which I am I am the voice of on the audiobook side. You find the Kelly Turnbull novels at Amazon.com. He does a poll on his Twitter feed. 21,000 people respond. And he gets the same response. So what does this tell us? Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. Kurt Schlichter joins us right now. Senior columnist at townhall.com. The Kelly Turnbull books. I think Crisis is the latest one and a new one is coming. Available at amazon.com, wherever fine books are sold. I want to get to this Trump thing, but I'm going to start someplace different. We're going to get to your article at Town Hall. Because I wanted to get your thoughts on the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Mark Miley. And this idea that he should be studying critical race theory, that he should be going over critical race theory. When I heard him make this statement, he said that he read Mao and he has read about Marxism and that he he studies these things and there's no reason why it shouldn't be studied. People have taken this in a lot of different directions. Tucker Carlson has said he is not worthy of being uh, the, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs. Other people take this as we are instilling critical race theory in today's military. We're doing a lot in the military that I see as a problem. But as you heard the general make this statement, of course, cursed, uh, uh, retired uh, colonel, uh, U.S. Army, as you see this statement being made, Kurt, was this the right this, uh, conversation or was this a dangerous conversation that the chairman of the Joint Chiefs got into? Well, Tony, uh, first, thanks for having me. Second, the dangerous thing is having me talk about Mark Milley on an FCC-compliant radio station. Oh, my. Well, well, try your best, uh, and we've got a dump button and nothing but time. You hover, you have that finger hovering it over it like a, a Apache gunship over its target. Um Millie, whose personal bravery is unquestionable and who was the commander of Delta Force and by all accounts uh, an outstanding tactical leader, is an utter disaster as the chief of staff. He is awful in every way, sucking up to the worst predilections of the uh, liberal establishment. It is a disgrace. People have this idea, Tony, that generals are conservative, and they are about their own institution. They don't want to change it. They want to do superficial changes so they don't have to do the hard work of changing the system uh, so that we actually win wars. And one of the easy changes is to suck up to people like President Asterisk by embracing nonsense like CRT, which he has. Now, as you know, I am a noted trial lawyer. I'm, in fact, your lawyer. Uh, So instead of looking at it as an infantry officer, I look at his arguments like a lawyer. The first one is, how dare you raise these issues and bring this up? I'm offended. Um, Silence, General. Let's review the chain of command as it goes to you and explaining yourself. American citizens, American citizens' representatives, that is, 
the men and women of Congress asking him questions. And then him, he's at the bottom. He is the private, the American systems of the general. They have a right to ask him questions he doesn't want to answer. I don't imagine that during a briefing, General Milley asks tough questions of a subordinate, and all of a sudden the major starts sniffling because he's very offended that the general's being mean to him. I don't think that works. So why should Honestly, in today's military, I'm not 100% sure sometimes, Kurt. In today's military, I don't quite know what goes down. I am, of course, a believer. I even oppose counterinsurgency techniques. I believe that you don't fight for light and transient causes, but when you do, you absolutely kill the enemy until dead, and I sometimes question whether or not we have the capacity or willpower to do so. Did General Milley's statements um, in in regarding critical race theory make you doubt the effectiveness and the readiness of, of today's forces? Well, of course they do, because we haven't won a war in 20 years. Now, I, I, and, and, you know, General Bill, being a four-star general with about 40 years of service, has been in a leadership position for the last 20 years, a senior leadership position. So you have to ask yourself, if we're losing wars, who's to blame? If we are a spoiling cauldron of racism and white supremacism, who is to blame? I would blame the guy in charge. Who is General Milley? Talking to Kurt Schlichter, retired colonel, a U.S. Army trial lawyer by trade, author of the Kelly Turnbull series of novels. You can get it at Amazon.com or wherever you fine books are sold. And let's now get to your work over at Town Hall, senior writer over at townhall.com. Your latest, Republicans are questioning whether they want Trump again. I set the scene with the Western Conservative Summit there. I said, I said Western Conservative Union, Western Conservative Summit, and they do this straw poll after their event, and Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, tops Donald Trump for 2024 idea of who should be president of the United States. Ted Cruz was on that list. Tim Scott was on that list. Mike Pompeo was on that list. You put forth a poll on Twitter, and here are the assumptions that you would support the GOP nominee if your guy lost the nomination, that Richard Grinnell would be the vice president because we want 16 years of him total, and Brian Stelter is a potato. So yes, you are not I, kind. It's important, to, it's important to establish those basic premises. 21,370 people. And lowest rated hack. 21,370 people vote. Give us yeah. the results and tell us what you think it means. Okay. Well, I gave, I gave people three choices. I said, hey, uh, would you support some sort of Jeb, Jeb exclamation point uh, hack like Nikki Haley or something? One per, that's about 1%. Uh, would you support someone else woke other than my two top choices? About 3%. What was very interesting, Tony, and I expected President Trump to come in with about 65%. He came in with about 45%. Uh, Ron DeSantis came in about 50 And I, I was stunned. Now, I do, there is no way to take this as a repudiation of the president himself. I think most of the people uh, who, who voted are very grateful for the president and what he did. They believe that the uh, election was uh, rigged through a combination of uh, fraud, illegal changes to election rules and an unprecedented campaign by the establishment, including the media, uh, to uh, support this uh, hack by hiding things like his criminal son's antics. But it, so, so it's not a rejection of Trump. What I see it as is a hardcore 
uh, ruthless and very necessary reevaluation that asks the important question, is Donald Trump the best guy in 2024? Because remember, this all started in 2015 when 2024 rolls around. It will nearly be a decade. Do you does something that worked a decade ago necessarily work today? Because Donald Trump's a very unique individual. I mean, and I think we're all extremely grateful for what he did. But, you know, to me, politicians are punishable and unbelievably unsentimental. I owe Donald Trump nothing. I I don't owe him to vindicate what I believe was a great wrong done to him. Um, I need to win in 2024. So my criteria, and I think the criteria of a lot of people, is who is the best to win. And if it's Donald Trump, that's great. And if Donald Trump's a nominee, I will support him wholeheartedly. The question is, is he the best for the job? And and we're very far out, as people pointed out. It's three years, as you pointed out, it's three years. But I think it's interesting that people are uh, keeping their options open, and I think they should. Now, I looked at that first poll and I, I asked myself the question will will trump hit back because trump does not like anything that doesn't show trump on top and if he does i said we will see people say whoa 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 settle down donald trump you will see that yeah. level of turn producer ari disagreed with me in the idea that the people will not turn on donald trump at all i exist in the camp and i always have Uh, That I want what I want. I am not into idol worship. I want people who will win. And then I want the policies put in place that allow me to live my life with the least amount of interference possible. Do you believe more people are like as you're describing yourself and as I describe me? Or that more people are actually within, it has to be Trump, nothing else but Trump. And if Trump decides to hit at Governor DeSantis, they will support Trump in that hit. I think uh, I, I think people are coming around to the way we think. Again, not an attack on Trump. It is not personal. It's only business, which Donald Trump should understand. Uh, and, and, and it seems he does because he hasn't hit back on it. But as the uh, uh, anger over the election, which I believe is justified, as you know, I went out with Rick Grinnell and helped fight uh, in uh, uh, Nevada for the president. So anybody coming to me going, the election was wonderful and fair and great. Keep walking. Uh, but but the <laughs> anger from that is, I think, fading over time, as as feelings tend to do. And people are t- looking back and saying, OK, we, we need to see who the best person is. This is serious. We have a desiccated old zombie weirdo uh, running our country, and he's running it into the ground. Uh, the the uh, disaster with our military, and it is a disaster, make no mistake, they're going to get more people killed, uh, demands that we change things. And if Donald Trump is not the most likely guy to be able to change things, I think a lot of people are going to say, well, you know, thank you. Here's a gold watch and a handshake. You are now president emeritus. You have our respect, but it's time to move on. And if I think it would be a grave error for him to jump back into the fray right now uh, and, and attack Ron DeSantis, because I think a lot of people are going to go, okay, no, I'm done. Uh, and, they, and, and they're not they, going to accept it. What I, I wasn't actually sure how you felt about it. I had not had a chance to talk to you about it. This falls very much in line with 
how in the end what people want to vote for is their best interest and they will take winning over personality any single day of the week and and twice on sunday and this is about winning i think when we take a look though at winning as we take a look at for example the midterms which are something you could talk about right now talking to kurt schlichter of townhall.com talking about 2024 Joe Biden is should have been beatable in 2020, is beatable in 2024. Kamala Harris is unlikable and unliked, as we've seen multiple times. What are we viewing as the subjects that will move us to 2022? What are those top two, top three subjects that allow Republicans to take control of the House and certainly the Senate? I am hoping, hoping that the failing economy, the attack on America uh, that is uh, critical race theory, um, and the rise in crime, uh, two of those traditional uh, uh, Republican advantages are the big issues. I am terrified, Tony, that the incompetence of this administration and the incompetence of our sycophant military leadership is going to lead to a Pearl Harbor-level disaster uh, something like the sinking of an aircraft carrier when the Chinese decide they're just going to walk into Taiwan, which they could do. Um, I, I am very worried about that. Uh, now, that would be, quote unquote, good for the Republicans. Uh, but I don't want to win uh, uh, because they got 5000 American uh, uh, military people killed. Uh, but I think uh, a, a, a major overseas military disaster is not only possible, uh, but becoming more likely every day due to the gross incompetence of America's military leadership. Kurt Schlichter is his name. Find his work at townhall.com, the books over at amazon.com, the Kelly Turnbull series of books, T-U-R-N-B-U-L-L, Kelly Turnbull. That is the name of the title uh, character. Uh, And on Twitter, Kurt Schlichter, S-C-H-L-I-C-H-T-E-R, Kurt Always a pleasure. I have got more, including the latest on that condo in Miami. I'm Tony Katz. Earlier today, the mayor of Miami-Dade County, Daniela Cava, giving the update on that condo building collapse that happened yesterday. Was it a sinkhole? Was it known to be an unstable building, as was reported? Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Great to be with you. The building supposedly had a report from the year before that it was unstable, or maybe the ground was unstable. If you missed the update from uh, the mayor, let me give that to you now. We have the Honorable Danina Levine Cava, mayor of Miami-Dade County. Thank you. So, good morning, everyone. Unfortunately, this has been a tragic night. We do have 120 people now accounted for, which is very, very good news. Uh, But our unaccounted for number has gone up to 159. In addition, we can tragically report the death count is now four. I want to be very clear about the numbers. Uh, They're very fluid. Uh, We'll continue to update you as, as we have them but we have confirmed four deaths. The search and rescue team worked throughout the night and uh, it was a very active scene from above and below. And uh, 
We also brought heavy machinery onto the site to assist with the operation. And so we are very, very grateful that our president has now authorized FEMA support. And we're joined here today by our FEMA representative who can tell you more. Uh, and, uh, and that is going to assist us in our recovery efforts as well to assist the, the families. We have the resources for the families at the Family Reunification Center. We've been actively uh, providing them everything that they need food, shelter, uh, cash to assist with uh, th their basic needs, and grief counseling. I don't have any numbers over the 159 that the mayor has discussed right there. This is a bigger story than I think has been discussed. This is Surfside, Florida. And yes, we don't live in Surfside, Florida. But there's a question to be asked about what is it that took place that could allow this to happen. Now, if it was indeed nature and a sinkhole, that can happen, and it's just tragic and horrific. If it happened 15 feet to the west, you'd be like, my gosh, that's a close call. You could do something about it. This is how it happened. If indeed, as some of the reporting has first shown, this was a building known to have some level of structural issue or foundational issue, and nothing was done, then we're going to be asking, well, then what's the point of these inspections? We want to talk about the importance of building codes, yet we don't follow up on things, we don't make good on things, we don't solve these issues. Note that I am not here to engage a conversation of blame, rather to take a look at what it is that has happened, when when we do know what happens, can we ask ourselves about how the system works in general? You can't do anything about nature. You can do something about programs and systems that no one follows and no one is held accountable for. I would say to you clearly that if it was known to the building department there was an issue, and this mayor, Mayor Cava, was the mayor, she should immediately be removed from office. Immediately. But until we know more, we don't know. Meanwhile, they continue to search for survivors, and we hope they find them all alive and well. I'm Tony Katz. We have long seen Russia engage in these little poking and prodding moments with the United States. Most recently, they did it with Britain with what I could only describe as a tugboat firing on a British destroyer and then bombs from the sky. Now, this was all not in a way to actually hit the British warship, but rather for Russia to do the thing that Russia does. But is this one of those harbingers? Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, it's good to be with you. Is Russia itching for a fight? Does a fight help them? And is this nothing more than a test of how people will respond? Tests that are paid attention to by U.S. adversaries. And is America prepared to deal with it? Major Mike Lyons joins us right now. You often uh, hear him over there uh, with the people of CBS, CBS News, a radio network analyst, uh, combat veteran of Operation Desert Storm, Bronze Star, and three Southwest Asia campaign stars, graduate of the U.S. Military Academy 
at West Point and often with us right here on Tony Katz today. Uh, now, we may get interrupted by the Vice President Kamala Harris speaking at the border, her, her big tour of the border, which also is a conversation of national security. But I want to start with what you saw between Russia and Britain. You know, it's one thing when uh, they they buzz a uh, signals plane, right? They, they buzz a satellite plane of, of the U.S., this was firing, even though they weren't in range. This was some some um, bomb dropping, even though they weren't trying to hit the warship. So this is a big old response from Russia. Is this what Britain was ready for, wanting, and does it mean anything? Hi, Tony. Great to be back with you. I appreciate the opportunity. I, I think it's all good old-fashioned gunboat diplomacy, in fact. And I, you know, the, the issue is Ukraine. The issue is whether Ukraine joins NATO. You saw at the end of the, the Biden-Putin summit there, there were some overturns by the Ukraine government thinking that that's going to happen. And I think that's a red line for, for Russia and for Vladimir Putin as he acts more aggressively. And so this is a, a, clearly a shot across the bow. Now, um, I, wh- whether or not how much further it goes, I, I think we just didn't think they were going to do anything. But, but if, you, if I was going to look at this you know, very rationally, Russia is not going to stand for Ukraine and NATO on any level. And I think um, they're going to try to do something to make sure that doesn't happen. If that means they could put 400,000 troops on that Ukraine-Russian border, and then what is Ukraine going to do? What's the United States going to do? What's our response going to be? Well, that is one of the the great questions. What is our response going to be? But I think before we get to that, there's a conversation of, is the United States really in a place, is it truly prepared as a fighting force to engage response? That the, the, the Whether or not the U.S. is ready, as you see it right now, is the U.S. prepared? I don't think so. I, I don't think it's necessarily um, a, a bad thing, only because uh, we've got a military right now that exists overseas that what I'd call standoff. It's very good over the horizon. We can drop cruise missiles. We can launch those kinds of attacks. But to put soldiers on the ground that actually impact a potential battle, where, which would be a home game for the Russians there, um, it would take us years at this point to do that. And, and if the Russians do what has been projected, let's say, uh, we've seen uh, estimates that said they could take over Eastern Europe in 60 hours, uh, you know, a few days. They could roll right through Ukraine, roll and keep going to the Latvia and, and those other places, uh, border up to Poland. So, again, uh, we think that we've got the deterrence coming from cruise missiles and the over uh, the, over the horizon uh, military. But, but frankly, I don't think Russia is going to be necessarily deterred by that. Talking to Major Mike Lyons. You can learn more about him. Go to his Twitter feed, MAJ for Major, Major Mike Lyons, L Y O N S. This idea of over the horizon, there's always this idea that somehow the future of of the military is going to happen from some command center far away and everything is going to be uh, drone-esque. I have long discussed that this is certainly not true, specifically when it comes to the U.S. Navy or any Navy in general. Control of the seas is extremely important. You brought up a very specific number, the idea of 400,000 troops amassed by Russia. Let's get into a little bit of where Russia's military is, considering they have a massive population problem, they do have financial problems, and Vladimir Putin is holding things together with a little bit of spit in trying to make sure he can maintain his power hold. There is a moment where the Russian people say, yeah, we've had enough of this KGB nonsense. 
You know, Tony, as I look at the situation on the ground there, the Russians for the past 10 to 12 years have significantly increased those conventional forces across that border. I give you an analogy back to the 80s as uh, our military was coming out of the the, kind of the Vietnam era, the the Volor, the volunteer army. Ronald Reagan becomes president. He goes on an eight-year buildup of our military. And then when we got to Desert Storm, we saw it was no match. All the equipment worked, everything, the new technology and the like. You can make that same analogy right now to Russia for the past 10 to 12 years. They've been investing in the conventional force. They, they have other problems for sure, but their military could pack a punch right now. And I don't want this to be 1938 or 1939 when you know, the greatest military in the world was the French as soon as the Germans decided to roll uh, into Poland and, and then back you know, into Belgium to create that Dunkirk situation we saw in the, in the Second World War. So we might claim that we've got the greatest military in the world, but, but right now um, it, it remains to be seen whether it is conventionally on the ground in Eastern Europe. The issue that we have is not a technological issue, as I know it. The issue that we have, at least that I view, is one of willpower. And this conversation gets a bit exacerbated as we saw the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, uh, Mark Milley, have this conversation on Capitol Hill about the studying of critical race theory. I make the argument that I don't mind if he studies anything. I only mind its implementation amongst the military. But there has been this concept of the military as this place of social change and making one question whether or not they can handle the rigors of what is necessary to defeat a Russian army that knows that if it comes back, it's going to get killed. Does, mm-hmm. Is our issue a technological issue, or is our issue a numbers of fighting force, or is it a will of fighting force, or the leadership of the force? Well, it's numbers for sure, especially with 400,000 troops. There's no other way around that. I think that a lot of it does have to do with will, and a lot of it, the deterrence gets back to the nuclear perspective. If What if Russia says if the United States gets involved... Uh, then we're going to start World War III ICBM type. You're going to give up uh, an East Coast city. Does, does the United States still get involved at that point? Because in theory, Ukraine is still not a NATO country. There's no um, Article Five reason to protect them. But I think the, the, the General Milley and, and what that, that whole wokeness thing is, is a distraction. I think deep down uh, at the, the commander level, or the battalion commander level, though, the people that I talk to every day, uh, they get up every day trained to fight what they perceive to be the enemy. Right now, I don't think we're doing a very good job defining it, and, and, and not as well as you have, Tony, for example. Um, the Army right now is a little struggling for a mission. The Air Force knows its mission. The Navy clearly in the South Pacific Sea and the China Sea, uh, as well as uh, what's going on um, in, in, in maintaining Pacific presence. But right now, the Army's struggling for a mission, and the question is whether or not they perceive this Eastern European to be one in the future. Well, we can discuss the fact that Poland clearly sees the threat of of Russia. They have seen the threat for a while. It was President Trump who spoke, I believe, speaking in Poland, talked about the threat uh, from from the South and from the West. He was referring to an, a, a, a rabid uh, level of immigration where the European Union wasn't even checking who was coming in, and the West referred to Russia. The Poles have long seen uh, the problem. Does the rest of Europe not see the problem? Well, it, whether they want to see it and address it are two different things. You see that the the, key, the pipeline in um, in Germany now is approved by the Biden administration. The Nord Stream Two pipeline, out, correct? Yeah, natural gas energy. Pipeline. Yeah, they, they've outsourced their energy, which again, as a country, I'm not sure how they could do that. Um, but there's no, you know, those Euro- Eastern European countries, even ones that are in NATO right now, recognize the threat. I, the dirty little secret is we don't have the 300,000 troops in Europe. Uh, that we had 10 to 15 years ago that would have stopped anything from happening. I mean, that, that 
Vladimir Putin's calculations are based on numbers on the ground. And he looks at uh, you look at history and it just goes to show you that uh, while air power remains uh, a fantasy and and, and the dream of of, of military strategists, you know, from historical perspective, we've never had a war that uh, has been won solely from air power alone. Talking to Major Mike Lyon, CBS News radio analyst. When people hear you say things like that, the immediate response that I can hear them saying back is, is it the job of the United States to protect uh, Europe in this way? You're Now you're having a NATO conversation and you bring up Article 5 that says a threat against one or an attack against one is an attack against all, the only time that's been enacted after September 11th. Uh, so that's yeah. the conversation that you're having, that the United States will, by treaty, be forced to get involved as opposed to whether or not they should get involved. And this brings up how President Trump acted and engaged these conversations, specifically with Germany, saying, how can you give them this natural gas pipeline Nord Stream 2 when they're the ones who are looking to hurt you is there so the US getting involved is there a specific necessity to the involvement in terms of a number of troops or is it just saying you're involved well that's right Tony I think that uh, we'd have to get involved if it was a NATO country by treaty and, and you look at World War One, and this is how World War One starts, the entanglements in these trees. I think Putin is smart enough to know not to attack a NATO country, though, and he'll be satisfied with potentially doing something in Ukraine only and basically daring NATO to get involved at that point. The U.S. has only one choice, and that is if we're going to be involved, it's all in, because none of those countries have any real capability to put troops on the ground either as well. Uh, I mean, the German standing army is you know, barely existent. I don't think they have enough tank battalions that get to defend their own country as it is right now. The rest of Europe for the past 20 years has relied on the U.S. nuclear umbrella to protect it. Donald Trump tried to fix it. And, and of course, uh, it looks like this administration is looking to you know, reverse anything that uh, he was trying to do. And, and in fact, now we're going we're gonna to get set back and we're going to get back to the situation where Putin, I think, is going to have a lot more latitude to do what he wants in Eastern Europe. Major Mike Lyons, a CBS News radio analyst. I appreciate you taking the time. A lot to get to. What will Kamala Harris say about the border? If anything, we've got it for you. I'm Tony Counts. So Jim Baker has to pay back $156,000. The televangelist said he had a cure for COVID. He didn't have a cure for COVID. He had a way to take more money from people who he shouldn't be taking money from, but some reason give him money. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Uh, Kamala Harris, vice president, went to the border, but not really, and is now speaking. Let's take it to her. Uh, I want to in particular recognize Secretary Mayorkas, the time that we spent with the uh, dedicated men and women of CBP, um, really has reinforced the work that Secretary Mayorkas has done in terms of bringing technology, bringing resources, bringing professionalism and support to the men and women who are on the ground doing the job every day. I commend all of them for the success that they have seen thus far. I call it progress. We're not exactly where we want to be yet, but we have seen extreme progress over these last few months because of his dedication and his efforts. Um, So with that... I don't know what's with the audio. But I can't imagine anything uh, she's saying matters when she starts with, I'd really like to thank Secretary Mayorkas for, for, for what exactly? Curious to know what you are, are thanking him for. What did, what did the Secretary 
of Homeland Security do for you? What what did he make better for you? How is is America better off because of him? One of the many many questions that we have out there. Remember, this border trip does not solve the problem of what do we do about the border? When that is the subject, we are still left in the place that we have an administration that does not believe, like you, me, and we, that there should be a border, that there should be strength at the border, that we should, without question, be able to say who comes in and who doesn't come into the country. That a border where people are taught to lie and call themselves refugees and not migrants, and those groups are paid by members of the United States, and that isn't stopped. And then they are supported, aided, and abetted by people like Representative Ocasio-Cortez. You go back to the Trump administration, it was Representative Ocasio-Cortez who would not vote for beds for kids at the border. It wasn't because she hates kids, although she might. It was because she does not believe there should be a border You shouldn't be stopping anybody because the border shouldn't exist. If I vote for beds, I'm saying there's a reason to stop people. And since there's no reason to stop people, there's no reason for the beds. The free and thinking people of America are up against a radicalized ideology on this subject. One of sheer madness and brutality and hate for you, me, and we, for the American way of life, for the very concepts, if you don't want to get that heavy into it, and when I say the American way of life, how about the fact that we aren't taking care of Americans first? We're saying take care of non-Americans first. I don't mind taking care of people, but I do rank these things. Americans first. If there's an American veteran who is hurting on the streets and we're taking care of somebody lying about being a refugee at the border first, we are doing it wrong. I'm just saying I rank these things. And if someone isn't willing to rank them, then they are unwilling to do the job of leadership because leadership involves sometimes making tough decisions and that involves ranking. Here's where we start and here's where we go next and here's where we go next. When you say the first three things we're going to do is you start with the first thing and then the second thing and then the third thing, that's the ranking. She doesn't believe in it. And there's a series of Americans well throughout this administration that don't believe in ranking these things. And when you take note of that, they hate you. They're angry with you and they call you the name. This is our issue. We have an administration that is simply unwilling to address the problem as it is and to tell people no, including members of the Progressive Party, that simply refuse to properly rank Americans first. Because when we allow people willy-nilly over the border, there is a massive cost, and there is a cost of dollars, and there's a cost of life. We see this again and again and again. And then we just have the plain old political issue that gets created from the border. Something members of Congress can solve and could have solved for the past five years and chose not to because clearly they like the issue. Yes, there's a cost. 
and that cost impacts the American way of life. Happy to have explained it. Find us on Facebook, Tony Katz Radio, and go to TonyKatz.com. You can support the show, get the podcast, do it all, share it with friends. This is Tony Katz today.